Welcome to Deutsche Bank's Mark to Market podcast, where we level set with global business leaders on vital topics that we face today. And now over to your host, Mark Fedorsik, head of the Investment Bank, in conversation with Mark Rowan, CEO and co-founder, Apollo Global Management. Mark Rowan is the co-founder, which they founded back in 1990, not to date you, <laughs> uh, Apollo Global Management. He took over in earlier this year in Q1 March as the CEO. Everyone in this room is probably familiar in some form with Apollo, and we're going to spend the next 30 mi- minutes uh, walking through, and Mark will do it, uh, the transformation they're going through, because it's quite remarkable. It is a high-growth alternative asset manager. It has a little over $470 billion of assets under management. They had a recent very successful investor day, and they set an ambitious target to take that 470 to $1 trillion by 2026 and to take their fee income from $1.1 billion by two and a half times that to $2.8 billion by 2026. So the numbers are out there. They set ambitious targets. As I said, Mark took uh, the company who was there when it went public in 2011. He serves on the board of directors of Apollo Global Management, as well as Athene, the leading retirement services businesses, as well as Athora, the uh, an insurance and reinsurance business focused mostly in Europe. A few more things, just bear with me. And I want to say a couple of nice things, and then, and then we'll get to it. He's currently chair of the board of advisors of the Wharton School and a member of the University of Pennsylvania Board of Trustees, as well as an initial... An expensive hobby. I assure you. Well, I was going to get to that, as well as an initial funder and contributor to the development of the Penn Wharton budget model. Uh, he's an active philanthropist, and I'm only going to name a few um, because you're extremely dedicated to it and passionate as an impact on all of us. Mark is a founding member of the Chair of Youth Renewal Fund and Vice Chair of DARCA, Israel's top educational network. Let's dive right in. I'm going to actually go off cue. I want to go back to one of my last questions, so I'm sorry about that. But we were talking about it. If you did not see the Investor Day, go get it. Page 10 in the Investor Day has a quote how culture can get eaten up by business model every day. Well, to, uh, just to be specific, culture eats strategy for yep. breakfast every day. And I think what we were trying to make clear is the day was about strategy. So the deck was about 260 pages. And it was really my way of saying all of this, this day is about strategy and all of this is really important. But if we fail to get culture right, none of this will matter. And strategy can adjust. We will, we will tinker with the strategy. We will make changes. We will do things inappropriately. They will be wrong. We'll, we'll redirect. And if you have a strong culture, it'll all be fine. People will uh, overcome. You know, when we look at investments, we look for something called momentum. How do you know if there's momentum? Well, you, you go and visit a company. You go and visit the team. And if an entity has momentum, there's no obstacle they can't overcome. And if they lack momentum... There's no obstacle that will not derail them. And so culture, momentum, uh, very, very important. And it's when I um, became CEO, I have two co-presidents who've been with me 25 years. And we sat around and we divided up the duties. And I said, well, I'm CEO. I get to choose first. So I'm going to take strategy and culture and communication and clients and crap because it's going to find me anyway, and you guys run the business. And that's actually what we're doing. Uh, I, have, um, I have the luxury of focusing on strategy and culture, 
and communicating where we're going while I have two incredibly talented partners who really run the business day to day. So what'd you do differently? I mean, this is a, this is a firm that evolved from a very small, private, very contrarian, to steal a word from what we were talking about earlier, coffee bar, to now a high growth asset manager. How are you changing the culture so fast? And what are you doing differently? Well, you know, look, um, so I've been there. This is my 36 year, 31 years at Apollo. Um, and for the last 12 years, I've been off to the side of Apollo building what has now become Apollo's largest business, which is our insurance business and our yield business. But the business has always been a good business. Um, but increasingly, the business got to be really, really complicated. And people generally respond to complexity one of two ways. Either you try to centralize command and control, memos, process, procedure, governance, and committees. That is one way to deal with increased complexity in a business. The other way to deal with increased complexity is to recognize you will never get your hands on top of the business nor retain entrepreneurs in that environment. So be very clear where you're going on strategy. Be very clear what's unacceptable. And let people go and do what they need to do and go do business. And so the cultural shift from a command and control, more centralized process to empowering people to go and make decisions has been immensely positive. Um, and I'd say couple that with four observations because you know the job is really hard and so we're trying to keep it really simple. Um, the first is what is the core rationale of an alternatives business? Sometimes we forget. It's not to do buyouts. It's not to do distress. We are, at the end of the day, in the business of providing our investors, primarily retirees, excess return per unit of risk. That's it. That is the promise of alternatives. And that, that's like a, such a simple nugget that sometimes we, we forget. You know, the second is to look at the world today and figure out what's in short supply. So, so much time, and even the introduction focused on AUM, the, the drive of a trillion of AUM. The reality is AUM is the reward for success. It is not the goal. Because the world is long capital. It is long liabilities. It is short assets. Yet we spend all our time talking about fund size and fundraising and who's larger and how much AUM. My, goal, my message to the team has been originate good assets. They will have a home. They will go into funds. They will be co-invested with clients. They will go on to retirement services, balance sheets, or I will syndicate them to competitors. Asset origination is the absolute key to success today. Um, the third is some of the businesses we're in. So if we're in three businesses. Um, we're in the private equity business. We call our equity business, which you have been tremendous supporters as an institution over 31 years. Um, we are in a business that we refer to as hybrid. Think of it as mezzanine, a lower risk, lower reward equity. Um, and we are in the yield business. In total, we're about half a trillion today. But if I simplify our business down to its essence, 150 billion of things that look like equity and 350 billion of yield. Not every business benefits from growth. You can't treat each of the businesses the same. In the private equity business, for instance, we are $25 billion today in our most recent fund. If we were 30, we would gain nothing. If we were 20, we would lose nothing. It is simply not a growth business. It is a business that we run for return. 
So run that business for investor return. On the other hand, in the yield business, at $350 billion, it sounds large, but we're not even relevant. $350 billion in a sea where BlackRock is $9 trillion, we have a long way to go before anyone cares what we're doing in this marketplace. That is a growth business. That will benefit from scale. And so this two-step process, so, three, so far three easy observations, the last one, and then I'll yeah. get off it. We only offer people one thing. There's only one skill, and that's judgment. And in our organization, the way you get judgment is by being inside for a long period of time of seeing what we do and what we don't do and why. And so once you're there for a period of time, we want you to spend the entirety of your career at Apollo. And so we have to run the business. So you want to spend the entirety of your career at Apollo. And that's culture, that's compensation, that's opportunity, that's who you work with, it's the surroundings you work in, and it's how we treat and relate to each other. Something you mentioned in there. You have hybrid, you have yield, and you have equity. We're in this environment right now where you've got a confluence of events with potential interest rates going up, although we haven't seen it, high inflation. Where do you see the best opportunities for your clients to invest right now? So in our business, single best risk reward is hybrid. And I'll unpack that a little bit. There is nothing but money looking for yield today. Every financial institution everywhere in the world, every retirement plan needs to find uh, some way to earn a return given what's happened to interest rates as a, go- as a result of government intervention around the globe. On the other end, there's an awful lot of capital for private equity and for risk. Because if you think about the way institutions allocate money, particularly consultant-driven institutions, they have a strategic asset allocation, so much into equity, so much into bonds, so much into real estate. And when they get to alternatives, they allocate to alternatives to achieve really high returns. And so institutions primarily allocate to the highest return alternatives. Very rarely do they allocate to the best risk reward. So if you have a 12 to 14% return equity business, there is no natural source of capital for that business. It is really hard to fundraise. So the mighty Apollo will raise $5 billion for hybrid value, which is a relatively small fund in the scheme of what we do. And the fact that it's so difficult to fundraise actually is the flip side of why it's so good to invest. There is just not the same level of competition in this one segment of the market because of a lack of a natural institutional support for it, because it's neither fish nor fowl. And I think this, this misallocation of capital will go on for a very long period of time and continue to be a very good risk reward. You've repositioned this Apollo in a very quick time frame. That's how I characterize it from the outside. That's how I saw it in the investor day three weeks ago. Completely true. Completely true. And you've been successful at it. We all struggle with repositioning our businesses. Just You talked about the clarity of, of, of communication, empowering people to go do it, but I, it's impressive. Can you just elaborate a little bit further? So we, we had, um, so 2020 was an interesting year. Um, not only did we all, all you know, figure out how to work remotely quickly and have all of the calamity and tragedy of COVID, uh, but for Apollo, we suffered from some negative headlines and management instability at the top. And so it was important first to diagnose the issue. Um, And so I stepped back and I talked to clients. 2020 was the single best year in Apollo's history from a financial point of view. We grew assets under management 148 billion. The most money we've ever deployed, I wanna say we deployed $90 billion. 
returns were off the charts. And the most impressive thing was that we hired 300 people remotely on a 1300 employee base and turnover went down. If you were outside of the entity, you had no idea. The headline after headline was uh, distraction and investors reconsidering their relationship with Apollo. And so this, and for someone who had been there for 31 years, understanding what was going on internally was not that hard, but providing the clarity of this is the business we're in. This is what we're doing. This is the strategy. And it all started with people. So my observation, and I, I probably applicable to your business and I'll, just different terminology. It's all about retention. We are, we are in an, an apprenticeship business, meaning someone junior joins the team and they learn it from the more senior team. Um, if the partners at Apollo are happy, it all works. And so I set out when we've got in, the first thing I did was to make sure that we made Apollo the single best place to be a partner in the financial services business. And there have been radical changes in what it means to be a partner. It is not just compensation, which has been radically revamped. It is not just how we treat you. It's decision-making authority, clarity of your business, focus. How you dress. How you dress. um, The new office space. Uh, but also flexibility. I mean, COVID taught us a few tricks. We no longer needed to see each other every day. So we've come back uh, as a three of five. We asked the team where they wanted to live, and we developed critical mass in Miami, uh, in West Palm, in Milan, and in Greenwich. Uh, And so we are opening offices there and basically have recast the relationship between partner and the firm. And the reason I focused on partners is if the partners are happy, first, they represent the embedded judgment of the firm. But if partners are happy, the principals are going to stay because they see the reward, they see the payoff. They see people who they admire, who they're learning from, who are happy to come to work every day. And if the principals are happy, the associates will be happy. And then it all works. (laughs) So it, it was, you know, sometimes you do things on a bottoms up way, here, it actually is all about top-down because in 2,000 people, there are probably 70 people who really make the Apollo world go around, and it was just easier to really understand and address 70 people. Well, well it's been remarkable to watch, and I did want to make the point again because I've seen it as an observer of 27 years, what you've done in the last year. But I want to go up to uh, talk about gender and ethnic diversity because it seems like a really big push as well. And I want to get insights because in all of our businesses, in the region, and sub-businesses, very big focus of ours. But it seems like there's been a real big push uh, of hiring. But so, can you talk about some of the things you're doing around diversity. Sure. Um, so, we g- gender has been easier because gender is about retention. It's not about hiring. Um, so, the classes start out in rough parity in pretty much every business, and then eight to ten years into the business, they're wildly lopsided. And so, it has not been about hiring. And in terms of ethnic diversity, it has been about hiring and then mentorship along the way. So the first thing you need to do is you need to make it important. You need to measure it. So if I took an honest look at the business and I get to see lots of metrics, we are in the top third of our industry in every measure you could possibly look at in gender, ethnic, geographic, everything else. And five years from now, we will be no better than top third and the results will be underwhelming. 
There is no path that I see where status quo, even good status quo, will result in a really diverse firm, a really gender parity firm. And that you can take that as depressing or you can just take it as a lesson that we need to change. Mm. And so my diagnosis there was a little bit different. We've done the two hard things to get to the top third. We've First, we've made it important throughout the firm. And the second is we have hired the professional team and enough culture carriers within the organization to get to where we got to. To get to the next level, we need to involve the whole firm and we need to eliminate it as an HR issue. And this has been the big change. So let's reframe what we're trying to do in language that we can all agree on that that can be pushed out to 2,000 people, not to 20 HR professionals. And so the language I've chosen has been opportunity. Because if you scratch the surface at Apollo, every one of us is the beneficiary of some opportunity, some break, someone who believed in us, some agency that got us into college or paid for us. Um, And it's true across the board. And so what I've said to people is, your job is to do opportunity. Go do it. And people can, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, what does it mean to you? If you think we need more veterans, go get more veterans. If you think we need more Hispanics, if you think we need more first generation from college, if you think we need more minority candidates, women or otherwise, you go do it. If you run our legal practice, you're in the diversity business. Think about who you give out assignments to. If you're running our warehousing business, financial warehousing, not physical warehousing, um, think about the managers that you support and so on and so on. Let the DE&I professionals take a look every year as to whether it's calibrated the right way and whether we're actually getting what we want. But don't think of this as an HR exercise. Just go do it. And I'll let you know in a year. It's been, though, incredibly liberating to just set people loose and see what they're going to do. And it's very grassroots. I have no idea whether it will actually move the needle, but I can tell you in an apprenticeship model, we will not move the needle as an industry because for every diverse candidate we hire, the firm who has done nothing down the street will pay that diverse candidate four times to move their diversity statistics up. And from the industry and from the, the world, nothing's nothing's changing let's turn to technology because we were talking about it earlier today with christian and how fast you think technology and working with fintechs is going to transform or impact your business okay so i think i think if you look at the financial services industry which we're all participants in one way or another there's not a sector in the financial services industry that is not under attack by a technology-oriented company. It doesn't matter if you're a depository, a record keeper, an exchange, an originator, a bank, a wealth manager, or an alternatives firm. Technology is everywhere. And so if you think about it from an offense point of view, which is where I start, um, every one of these challengers has one thing in common. None of them want to be a regulated balance sheet, not a single one of them. Okay. So for us, the first thing we look at, given that we as a balance sheet and as a yield-oriented firm, we can be a provider of credit to those entities who want to extend credit through a new, new forms of origination. So we are a financier to fintech competitors. Um, the second is we are a validator. 
So if you, we are, a, for instance, a very large user of securitization. We're one of the most active securitizers of assets. We recently agreed to put all of our securitizations on figures blockchain. Good for us, cost savings, good for us, um, better information flow, good for figure, marquee customer. And we aligned our economics uh, with figure so that we had a share in the outcome for validating their platform. Um, the third is we are ourselves a really large financial institution, not at your scale, but if you think about the insurance businesses that underlie our asset management business, insurance today, balance sheets are $270 billion, which would put us ahead of Swiss Re or Munich Re. We are a really large financial institution in the scheme of the world, and we are also entrepreneurial, so we are a good customer and investor with fintech. So I think on the offense side, um, there's a lot that we and you can do with fintech if you also accept that it is, <coughs> excuse me, at the same time there's offense, they're challenging your business. Um, I just think we have to accept that change is going to happen and that each of our role in the ecosystem is going to need to evolve to reflect that these technology models are not disappearing and we're not going to beat them back in their entirety, but that we will learn to coexist with them. Uh, in in the bank's case, it, it'll be a more complex existence because you have many more points of contact. For us, it is primarily offense, although you know, I think we're going to see a time when the simplicity of our products, a fund or a specific investment, are going to become much more unbundled as a result of technology. So I, I, prepare for change and just accept it. I think my, my first job, I, I think uh, I worked for Mike Milken. At the end of every day, I was kind of the young, smart kid. At the end of every day, he would come by and he would ask me a question. And I would not know the answer any day he asked this question. And he didn't come by specifically to do it. It just his mind worked differently. And he said something uh, very close to 1985. He said, either you accept change or it's visited upon you. And it just never left me. And it's been true at every point yep. in my business career, you accept it or it's visited upon you. Final question. You've, you've been in this industry for over three decades. If you're an analyst sitting in the room, if you're an analyst listening on the phone, what advice up to a managing director, someone who's been here for 27 years, what advice would you give us? We've got a lot today, but sum it up. Look, a, a couple of things. Look, we're, we're living in a, a unique time. Um, if you're an analyst or you're a young person in this business, Learn everything you can learn. Don't think today's environment is the environment. We've had in our business, in your business, we have a whole decade of people who've never seen anything other than an up market. And I assure you, it goes to, it's bi-directional. Uh, the second is every single person is coming back. You know, this is my 36th year. The people I met 30 years ago, they're now the CEOs and COOs and CIOs of these institutions. How they know me along those years is, is our currency. And particularly if you're young, if, you, if your reputation and your interaction with people is online, who really knows you? It's your coworkers. You know, reputation is, ever, is everything. How you enter a firm, how you are at a firm, and if you ever choose to leave a firm, how you choose to leave, it just speaks volume about you as a person. And this is a really long game. I really want to thank you. As, as someone that's been here for 27 years, the relationship with Apollo keeps growing. You've obviously made it easier because the firm continues grows. Nice thank you very much. Good yeah. Thank you. Well done. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah.